You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 12. Today we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 36. The title of our sermon is Eternal Hour. What can you do in an hour? People think about that. Um, A lot of people have some preset filler activities. I kind of end up in probably this first category. It's uh, they fill their time up with uh, their hours or an hour with watching TV. People like to watch TV for an hour. Uh, Some people like to wallow. People like to wallow under the covers for an hour. I'm not quite sure how many people do that, but I guess that's something to do for an hour. Uh, People Netflix. They can wander through lost emails in an hour. Uh, They can skim through a dozen self-improvement articles, or they can scan through a week's worth of Facebook feed. I'm sure you, you know, scrolling, you know, you get caught up in that, you're like, whoa, whoa, I didn't know this guy, you know, and you're looking at all that Facebook feed. How about some productive stuff? What's some productive stuff you can do in an hour? Uh, You can pray, pray for an hour, right? That's a productive thing to do in an hour. You can engage in a, a full workout. Uh, did you know that you could cook a week's worth of nourishing food in an hour? I'm not quite sure of what that food looks like or how much there is, but I guess they said you could do it so that you're not filling up on garbage when you're rushed. Uh, you can write eight thank you cards in an hour. I'm not sure who's writing them. I don't think I could write that many in an hour. I'm usually slow at writing, so. Uh, but that's to strengthen your relationships. I think that's a good use of an hour. You can learn 20 new words and 10 new phrases in another language. Uh, You can reflect on your day, which I think all of us should do at the end of the day before you go to sleep, reflect on what you did or maybe what you shouldn't have done and maybe what you won't do or should do the next day and figure that stuff out. You can uh, play a full-court game of basketball. You can play beach volleyball or whatever your favorite sport is. You can take notes on a podcast, change the way you think, or you can get lost in nature. All that in an hour. I guess I've never really thought about what you can do in an hour. Maybe I should take an hour and think about what I could do in an hour and then do some of those things that I can do in an hour. It's amazing what people can do in an hour. Today we're going to be talking about a very particular hour. It's not a 60-minute period of time, but it is a period of time that is deemed by Jesus as the hour. I'm going to tell you something. Out of all the hours in history, and all those things that people have done within those hours, it is this hour that is the most important of all time. What we do with this hour affects all the hours of our past. All the hours of our present and all the hours of our future. And what God accomplishes in this hour is more than you and I can ever imagine. It is an hour that changes the world, it's an hour that we just celebrated. And it is for this hour 
that Jesus Christ came. We're going to be looking at three facets of this hour today. Uh, The first facet is it is an hour of glorious manifestation, verses 27 through 28. John chapter 12. Now my soul, Jesus says, has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So just to back up here for a second, it is the sight of the Greeks or the hearing of the Greeks that are seeking to see Jesus that introduces the concept of this hour that we are going to be pulling apart and looking at today. So back in verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, Andrew and Philip, and came and told Jesus that these, the Greeks are looking for him. And Jesus answers them and says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So we're going to be looking at that hour. So it is, it is this introduction of people other than those within Israel who are now seeking Jesus that does something to his soul. Number one, it triggers this hour. So up until this point, he kept telling them, my hour has not yet come. Now it is this hour. This is it. This is why he came. It is for this very purpose. And hearing about the Greeks or seeing the Greeks kind of troubles his soul. This word for troubles, one of the first things that I, I want you to see that is manifested here is we've talked about Jesus' divinity, but here we see fully manifested is his full humanity in this situation. It means to be shaken or stirred. Jesus is suffering from an inner, inner turmoil. An anxiety, a confusion, an unsettling condition. The word here for troubled is the same word that is used when the waters were stirred up by the angel for the guys, the people to be healed. They said the the angel would come down and stir up the water. So Jesus' soul is being stirred up. It's the same word that was used for when the disciples saw Jesus walking to them in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. They were troubled. They were terrified. The first verse that came to my mind when I saw this one was in Hebrews 4.15. You and I do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way that you and I have been yet without sin. Jesus understands That following God's will is difficult. That's what he's experiencing right here. He's torn. He's vocalizing this. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get nervous or 
uh, I'm anxious about something or I'm going through something that I don't like or I have to go through something that I don't like. I know a lot of times Sarah gets the brunt of this when it has to do with my sermon. If I don't like my sermon, she hears about it the entire week. I'm like, this is going to be the worst ever. I, and I'm so nervous about it. And what, what am I doing? How am I easing those, that nervousness and anxiety? I'm talking about it. Have you ever done that? You know, maybe you got like a, some sort of a doctor's appointment or something coming up or something going on in your life, and you're so, you're, you're troubled by it. And what do you do? You, you actually say it out loud. You're like, man, I'm really stressed out about this. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's worried. He's stressed out. He's anxious. He's experiencing these emotions. And, and, and folks, whether sometimes good emotions or bad emotions, emotions sometimes can tempt us away from God's purpose for our lives. That's kind of what's going on here. And we see the same thing that Jesus deals with the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he say? Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass before me. It's the same type of dialogue. We can't see Jesus as some dispassionate, unconcerned individual with super nerves of steel and one that is unaffected by feelings. That borderlines on heresy. Pastor Kevin talked about Jesus' humanity. This is it. Full display. It's not easy, is it? What I find amazing is that just a few verses earlier, Jesus demands something of his disciples. What is it? To deny yourself, right? Now he exemplifies it right here. He's denying himself. He's denying his feelings. He's denying his emotions. His emotions and his feelings are saying, what is about to happen is absolutely terrible. What am I going to say? Save me? Not only was Jesus concerned over the physical aspect of suffering that he was to endure, but it was the spiritual one as, as well. He says, my soul. Jesus was about to bear the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, but also suffer a separation from his Father. A separation that he has never experienced from all eternity past. This is why Jesus can sympathize with us. He knows that obedience and self-denial are not easy at all. He understands that there's feelings of reservation, there's feelings of fear, there's feelings of worry, and there's anxiety so much that he prays. And, and whether or not uh, commentators differ on this prayer, was Jesus being sincere? Father, save me from this hour, and then kind of corrects his thinking? Or was he being, you know, what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour, and being kind of rhetorical about it? Either way, what we have to understand is when Jesus remedies this, when he says, no, I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to do that, those feelings aren't gone. 
This is an inward condition that is prolonged. He's suffering. And I think for us, we have to understand that obedience to God's will sometimes is actually going to go against what we're feeling, whether good or bad, whether it's the temptations of, of, of the flesh that make us feel that sin is good and enjoyable, or it's doing what is right and we don't want to do it that brings about anxiety or fear or worry. Don't follow your emotions. Jesus doesn't, but he understands us. He understands how hard it is. There's a, there's a, a, a promotional thing out right now for uh, Christianity, for Jesus, and the whole thing is he gets us, right? Have you seen that yet on the TVs? They're right. He does. He understands us. Why? Because he was made just like us. He's torn, but he came for this purpose. And it's God's glory and his purpose that wins the day with Jesus. French Impressionist painter Renoir was confined to his home during the last decade of his life. I didn't know this. Uh, He was often visited uh, by his dear friend Henry Matisse, who was 20, another great artist, who was 28 years younger than him. Uh, they were dear friends and frequent companions. Renoir, at this point in time, was almost paralyzed by arthritis. But he continued to paint in spite of these infirmities. He had to hold the brush just between his index finger and his thumb. As he painted, students that were with him often heard him crying out in pain that it hurt so much. One day as Matisse watched the elder painter work in his studio fighting the torturous torturous pain with each brushstroke, he blurted out, Why do you continue to paint? When you are in such agony, Renoir replied, the pain passes, but the beauty remains. Does, doesn't it? He saw beyond the pain. Jesus does the same thing. Jesus sees beyond the anguish sees beyond the suffering, sees beyond the torture, and he sees the beauty of bringing glory to his Father. Two prayers, two prayers that he prays. And they're two prayers that can, divide, can, can be throughout our entire lives. Save me, Father be glorified. One is a prayer of self-preservation. One is a prayer of glorification. Save me or Father be glorified. God is most glorified when His attributes are manifested for the world to see. And as John MacArthur rightly puts, 
there was no other place that this was done than at the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, God is glorified when his attributes are manifested to the world. And nowhere was his magnanimous love for the helpless sinner, his holy wrath against sin, his perfect justice, his redeeming grace, his forgiving mercy, or his infinite wisdom more clearly seen than in the death of Jesus Christ on a cross. God's glorified when we submit to him, obey him, no matter what the cost is. He's glorified when his children follow this pattern, and there is no other place that God is most glorified than in the cross of Jesus Christ, and that is how we can glorify God as we accept that sacrifice. And we lift up that cross. When we glory in the cross, and when we obey, no matter what we are feeling at the time. Brings us to our next point. Next facet, it's an hour of victorious division, verses 29 through 33. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard the voice were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now... Judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Many people have seen Cinderella. Come on, everyone, right? If you haven't, go home, see Cinderella. Not now. After the sermon. I'm sure you all know the story, right? Pretty, uh, Disney movies are really tragic a lot of times. You know, parents, people losing parents all the time. So the mom dies. Dad marries the, you know, wicked stepmother. And then dad dies and Cinderella's left with those beautiful daughter, the beautiful sisters, and then uh, this wicked stepmother. And she's always seen in, in rags. Always seen filthy and, and doing all these these chores. But... She gets a chance, doesn't she? She gets a chance to live a, a fairy tale life. Fairy godmother comes along, bippity boppity boo, changes little Cinderella into a little beautiful princess. However, it's only for a short period of time. The end of her fantasy is marked by the clock. We all know in the story, she hears the bell begin to toll. She rushes out the door, leaves behind the the little silver, golden, it's not golden slipper. Yeah, thanks, glass, thanks. I'm like Dorothy, red, that's ruby. There's a golden slipper in some fairy tale somewhere out there. She leaves it behind, prince comes and finds it, you know, puts it on her foot, and what? They live Happily ever after. Folks, that is not the case for everyone in this world. 
there is coming a time that that bell will stop ringing and this world will be exposed for what it truly is. And you know when it began to ring? Right here. Judgment has come upon this world. One commentator sums it up nicely. He says, this voice was a token. It wasn't for Jesus. Jesus knows who he is. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's going to do, and he knows the outcome. This voice was for those who were around him to let them know something that the judgment of the present world order was at hand. The central point of all time in history was upon them now. And the decisive division, who will stand with Jesus? Or who will suffer the fate of the ruler of this world. The bell is ringing. During this time, we can either see the fantasy that we are living in, we can either think that that is the reality that we are living in, or we can continue to be fooled by the fairy godmother of this world. This is it. The world thought that it was judging Jesus, thought that it was judging God. But what is the craziest thing here is that what the world does to Jesus brings judgment and condemnation upon themselves. This is the world's reaction to God. This lowly man, this humble man, who came to earth, who was born of a virgin, who loved people, who who lifted up the poor, who lifted up the outcasts of society, who healed the sick, who told people to love their enemies, they crucified him on a cross. And in doing so, confirmed their own judgment. That's the world's response to God. Kill him. Kill him. But the craziest thing is in their own self-condemnation, God gives them a way for salvation. How does he do that? I have no idea, but he did. And in what they thought was a defeat is the greatest victory of all time. For Jesus Christ and for all of those that understand the fairy tale that they've been living in. For all of those that see the filthy rags 
that are upon them. And for all of those who look at that cross and realize that, wait a second, I'm the one who deserves to be there. And it divides this world in two. Those that follow Christ, those that are drawn to him by his death, burial, and resurrection, and those that follow the prince of this world who has already been judged. Two camps. That's it. Sarah's mom used to have a clock in the kitchen. I can't remember exactly what it said. You can correct me afterwards, but it was a reminder said something like at any minute or at any moment he can return. Uh, perfect with the time, right? At any moment, at any moment, folks, Galilee, that bell can stop ringing and guess what you're going to hear? You're going to hear a trumpet. You're going to hear a trumpet. And I want you to take heart because he's telling all of us something. He's saying, look, you're living in a place that has crucified the Son of God. How do you think they're going to treat you right now? But I want you to take heart because guess what? This world can judge you. This world can judge your faith. This world can judge me. But in doing so, the world is judging itself. And one day, one day, that curtain's going to be pulled back. And the victory that is ours now will be revealed. He says it right here. It's done. Game over. I've won. Take heart. He's already won. We sang it today. I'm fighting a battle. You've already won. This world is judged. And I know right now we're living in a time where it doesn't look like we're winning, does it? And we're living in a time where this world has gone absolutely crazy. And the pressure is going to keep coming. Remember this. Two places, two people, Jesus or Satan. And though Satan is still kind of thrashing about, it reminds me of a, a missionary told me once that, I'm sorry for you, those of you who hate snakes, told me about a village uh, who one of the villagers woke up one morning and had this massive snake in their hut. And you know what they did? They cut off its head, right? So you ever, anyone ever cut off a snake's head? I have. And what happens is the snake still does this. It's still moving. Great picture, right, right now? And he, he said the snake was so big, it's thrashing about, and it was destroying stuff in the little hut. And what a picture, Satan's head's cut off. He's got a little bit of time left. The idea here that Jesus says has been cast out is the idea of a convict who's being led out of the court to go to his ultimate sentence. That's what's happening. 
He's done. He's defeated. He tells his disciples later on that the ruler of this world has been judged already. His doom is sealed, and so it is for those who follow him as well. Both are judged at the cross, and this judgment will be fulfilled at his second coming, and now the division exists. There are those who follow the prince of this world and those who are drawn to Jesus. It is only by the cross, only the cross of Jesus Christ that draws men unto himself and that these men are now, men and women are now redeemed and reconciled unto God. There is no other way. Don't anyone let you, don't anyone tell you any different. There's no other way. This is it. And the division that begins here is the division that continues to today and one that will last into all eternity. It's a message that the church can't change. We can't sanitize it. We can't change it. We can't make it, can't make it acceptable to this world. We preach it. We live it out. We believe in it knowing this truth and knowing that this is the only way that people can be saved. It is the cross that creates this division and the cross that leads to the ultimate decision. So the third facet of our text today, it's an hour of timely decision, verses 34 through 36. The crowd then answered him, We've heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke, he went away and hid himself from them. This is Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith and her family uh, went on a vacation. One day they were just relaxing on the beach. It was their first family vacation ever, and it had taken them to Thailand. So that morning, 10-year-old Tilly, her parents, and sister Holly went for a walk along Mai Cow Beach. They enjoyed the warm breeze in their faces and felt the sand squishing beneath their toes. A few weeks prior... Tilly's little holiday, she was in geography class. Now, she wasn't too fond of geography class, but this particular class kind of caught her attention. The teacher was showing a video about tsunamis. She watched the video, enjoyed it. So as Tilly and her family walked on the beach, she noticed something about the waves. She noticed that the waves were going out but not coming in. 
Tilly alerted her parents that they were surrounded by signs that something unusual and cataclysmic would occur. At first, they were dismissive, but her passion and persistence paid off. She began shouting, there is going to be a tsunami. Now, what would you do? I, I, you know, what would you do? There you are, you're, enjoying, you're on your first family vacation. You're on the beach, you're having a good time. All of a sudden, your, one of your youngest is shouting <laughs> and saying, we need to get off the beach. There's going to be a, a tsunami. So not just saying, you know, I have to go to the bathroom. This is kind of a little bit bigger than that. You can imagine the, the parents saying, calm down, it'll be okay. You're scaring your sister. Her sister began to sob hysterically, so uh, the father had to take the sister Holly back to the hotel to calm her down. Tilly looked all around and saw the people in the ocean, on the sand, everywhere, and she just knew in her heart that everyone was in danger. She ran back to the hotel to find her dad talking to the security guard. And her dad was saying, I know this sounds crazy, but my daughter says there's going to be a tsunami. Author says this, security guard listened not to a PhD candidate, not to a brain surgeon or a NASA scientist, but to a passionate plea coming from a 10-year-old British schoolgirl. The guard listened and then shouted for people to get off the beach They scattered all over the place as pandemonium set in. The hotel lobby, which was on a higher floor, became a gathering place as the tsunami struck. There's a picture. It was triggered by an earthquake on the Indian Ocean. The tsunami killed 230,000 people. Guess what? Nobody from Tilly's Beach. All of them were saved because they listened to a girl who understood the signs. What is Jesus doing here? Again, warning them. Hey, don't worry about the question you just asked me. Know this, I am with you for just a little while longer. The wave is coming. Do something about it. Walk in the light while you have the light because there's coming a point in time when the darkness is going to overtake you. And yes, he's talking about his departure, but folks, we have to understand that he's talking to everybody in this world today. There's going to be a time where there will be no tomorrow, and it's going to be too late. And if you're in here today and you're saying, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I just, I need a little bit more information. I understand all that. And God wants you to investigate. He wants you to use your brain. He wants you to make that choice. But please don't keep putting it off till tomorrow because there might not be one. You don't know how much time you have. You don't. And if you're watching on Facebook, the same goes for you. Don't wait, because once that darkness overtakes you, that is it. You're done. 
and I talk to people, people I care about, and that's exactly what they do, and it betrays the priorities of life. They want to just enjoy the beach. They want to just kick the sand. They want to just walk and enjoy the breeze. And then all of a sudden, that's it. It's over. And there's no more time. Jesus talks about this darkness in Matthew twenty-two thirteen, 13. And it has to do with the guy who was invited to the wedding, doesn't wear the right clothes, the clothes of Jesus' righteousness. Tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness. Where there's no joy, there's no laughing, but there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. This word for overtake is a really scary one when used in the context of darkness. It means to make something one's own, to attain, or to win a prize. Folks, if you're here today and you have not believed in the light of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you something, that one day that darkness is going to win a prize and it's going to be your soul. What a terrible, terrible thought. Not to scare you or anything like that, but this is the reality. Understand that Satan has blinded the eyes of this world you think you're living in this fairy tale. Wake up and see it. Come to the light of Jesus Christ. Don't put it off until tomorrow because one day there won't be. A little while longer. And go back to the illustration. Who persuaded these people? Not a scientist, not an apologist, right? little girl who saw the signs. Church, that's us. We're the sons of the light. And Jesus is talking about discipleship too. Walking, continually walking in that light, but also doing what? Showing other people, hey, look, something's coming. Warning them. Do we know that a hundred yards from us, we have people that are going to hell? In our own neighborhood. This is where they're going. And I know myself included, sometimes I just want to stay on that beach. Jesus continues to warn people. You and I need to do the same. Love them. Warn them. Plead with them. Beg them. Tell them, hey, I see the signs. There's a wave coming. The way this ends is really frightening. What does Jesus do? Hides himself. What a scary thought. 
one day they're going to look for Jesus. They're not going to be able to find him. One day, this world is going to try to hide from him. It's not going to happen. Because this hour affects the world for all eternity. One way or another. It's an hour that was a glorious hour, but filled with suffering and pain before his exaltation is an hour that he dreaded, but manifested his love for us and for the Father, an hour of ultimate submission despite the cost. It's an hour that the Father is ultimately glorified in. See, his love, his kindness, his justice, and his hatred for sin. It's in this hour by which we are saved, which we glorify God. It's an hour that divides the world in two. It is so appropriate that we have divided history by this event. He recognized its impact not just on Israel, but the entire world. Divides a world that judges and condemns the Son of God to death and those that see that they deserve such a judgment. It's a division of victory in Christ or defeat with Satan. And it's an hour that leads to the most important decision of all time. Don't waste this one. Father, Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you that Jesus, despite his emotions, despite his feelings, went through the ultimate cost for us. Lord, help us not to take this sacrifice for granted. Help us to realize the work that was done and that it secures our salvation for all time. No work that we can do. But Lord, please, please help us to go out into this world as hard as it is to let people know something's coming, but there's a way out. We ask for your strength and we ask for your mercy and for your grace. And we ask that Jesus be lifted high in this church for all to see. In his name we pray, amen.